Welcome to the Dunamis EQ podcast, where we talk to great leaders, people who lead with emotional intelligence. We hear their stories, we understand how they think, how they've learned, how they've gotten to where they are, and hopefully that empowers you to go on your own journey with emotional intelligence. Today, I have the privilege of being joined by Darren Long. Um, so Darren was someone who was recommended to me by one of my really good friends who had worked with Darren while he was at Sky. Um, so we're just going to understand a bit more about Darren, how he works, how he thinks, um, and what's made him the great leader that he is today. So Darren, thank you so much for joining. No problem. Um, nice to meet you and uh, nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you too. This is the first time we're meeting, first time we're talking. So everyone's going to get the, the opportunity to hear how we get to know each other, which is quite cool. Sounds like um, <laughs> So let me, let's start with who are you? Like, what do you do? Where have you been? Like, tell us a little bit about your about your career journey so far. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my early careers, I've, I've been in um, the industry for quite a long time. I mean, broadcast mm. industry, but um, my passion and certainly the thing where I started as um, when I was very young is I, I love photography and certainly okay. it was, was somewhere I always thought I was going to end up. Um, but didn't. Um, but uh, it became sort of more of a hobby than a than a, than a job. But it mm. but it definitely um, moved me on. And I knew age nine what I wanted to do. I know that sounds very oh. strange to other people. <laughs> don't know what they're going to do when they're um, when they're sort of that age. But I'm probably one of those odd people that would had a um, had an incident, and it was a really um, silly incident that um, that kind of wanted. I I knew at that point I wanted to come into the uh, the broadcast industry, um, and uh, and that was uh, I went to the Horse of the Year show in Birmingham as a young boy, <laughs> as you do, um, and, and behind me was a cameraman, right, and he was uh, obviously filming the event. And yeah. uh, I was looking that way most of the time while the mm. event was happening this way. Right. And uh, and uh, I came away that day, age nine, going, right, that's what I want to be. I want wow. everyone to be a cameraman, of course. Um, <laughs> I continued my passion um, by sort of taking pictures. Uh, mm. I, as I grew up and sort of was in my sort of early teens, I worked for a local photographer um, um, working for him. And that taught me a lot of things, certainly about um, sort of working with people. Um, mm. But then um, it kind of spurred me on. And then literally when I left, uh, um, uh, I left university, um, I, I knew that I wanted to work in film or TV. Um, and, and I wasn't particularly sure where and what. Mm. Um, so uh, I um, was very lucky um, that I saw an advert, a job advert for the National Film and Television School in Beaconsfield. Okay. And uh, and it was for a trainee video engineer, they called it in those days. And uh, and I was very lucky to uh, to actually start there. Had seven years of a amazing scholarship, really, because mm. not only was I somebody who was obviously being paid for doing a job and mm. training and going to you know sort of um uh, college and and learning about electronics and and television broadcasts and all the rest of it but equally i was working with students and the great thing okay. with that is i got all the benefit of working mm. with students because um it meant that i could go on the courses they went on uh, wow. it meant i learned about film i learned mm. about tv uh, I learned about lighting. I worked with some of the great directors out there. Um, mm. And I worked with some really talented um, uh, sort of um, uh, students who became uh, amazing in what they did. And one mm. of the famous ones that I worked with uh, was a, a guy called Nick Park, who um, invented mm -hmm. Wallace and Gromit. Um, no way. 
yeah. So um, I worked with him on the first film he did, which was The Grand Day Out. Um, and um, he asked me whether or not I would help him to build the spaceship and the all the electronics <laughs> in the spaceship and everything. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I, I was very lucky to work with him. But okay. in, in a nutshell, I think that grounding really yes. taught me something around um, sort of what I wanted to be. And so yeah. I... I, I graduated let's call it i graduated from the national film tv school uh, after seven years i kind of got a number of qualifications at that point mm. um and um I, I decided i wanted to go on and uh, and work at uh, a proper mainstream broadcast um mm. uh, center so i was looking and one day i spotted this this advert and it said sky channel mm. and it's then and, and i showed it to my then boss who um who sort of said, I've never heard of them, don't know who they are. Um, what? Uh, <laughs> That's uh, unimaginable now. Well, I can't it, even it imagine was unimaginable, that. but just yeah. remember what it was in those days. So I'm talking yes. back in 1989. Um, That's just when it started, right? No, well, before it, when it was started. So 88, 89. Right. So, um, okay. so effectively, um, uh, it was called Sky Channel. It was run out of um, Holland. Uh, it was a uh, a channel for arts, and okay. uh, and effectively they did some entertainment as well, and they did a UK Top Forty, which was with a guy called Pat Sharp, uh, oh. and a and a cat called DJ Cat, um, and and, uh, and effectively it was the precursor to what became Sky as we know it today. Right. Um, and so I went there for a job. A job. Um, I went there for two things. One was uh, mm. being. Uh, what they call a um, again a video engineer or a, a vision engineer, and the other one was a cameraman. And I, in okay. the end, got the vision engineering role. And and I was very lucky because I went to Sky, and it it was literally being formed. Mm. So Rupert Murdoch have taken over this channel. Um, I came in. I was number three hundred and thirty uh, of wow. the people that they took in in uh, in Sky, and. Uh, they saw that I had a little bit of experience, not much, mm. seven years experience, but I knew lighting, I knew many, many things. So they asked me to, to manage and look after the launch of Sky News um, and effectively um, build the studio for Sky News. Mm. Um, and so that was my project, was building building the Sky, the Sky News studio um, and then taking it on air the first day when Sky launched. Okay. So, um, so that was my baptism by fire. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. There I was very young, um, in my early twenties. Um, oh. I'd been given this responsibility. If I'm honest with you, looking back at that, I, I didn't know the sort of the, the magnitude of the responsibility because at yeah. the time, no one knew the channel. It was like exactly. this unknown channel. It, you know, there was a gentleman who kind of sat next to me in rehearsals. His name was Rupert Murdoch. He would sit next to me, <laughs> uh, wow. um, and uh, and uh, he would um, he would sort of come in every Sunday while we're doing rehearsals. He would ask me a few questions: How's it going? What's going on? He just happens to always sit next to me because the chair was empty yeah. next to me. Um, and he would be there, you know, he'd come in his old jumper and he'd walk in and he'd look at what we were doing and how we were doing it, what the rehearsals were going on. Uh, and it was a special time. I, yes. I mean, probably at the time I didn't recognize you it. You didn't recognize that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a very special time. Yeah. Wow. And we worked crazy hours. I mean, we, we, you know, if I look 
back at what we did then, what people mm. moan about now. I kind of didn't even think about yeah. it. It wasn't, didn't even cross my mind. It was, mm. I probably knew deep down there was something special going on, but didn't really yeah. recognize it. So it was very exciting. Wow. wow. There is, there is mm. so much in that that I, I think well, I need uh, to yeah. ask you about. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that, that is, that is, and especially, so I'm someone who works at Sky, right? So yeah. for me, this is like the history before the history that I've ever known. So this has just been, this has been fascinating. And I recently did a Sky News tour. And to think that you were part of the original, like starting of that, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, so one of the things that actually I wanted to ask you about is, so Rupert Murdoch has, he's like a, you know, he's built so much in this world, right? And a lot of people who work for him do very, very well. So what were some of the things that you learned from him? Because he is like, whether people like him or not is another thing, but like he's obviously one of the great leaders of our time. So what are some of the things that you learned from being so close to, to Rupert Murdoch? Well, I think, I think um, there were a number of things. Mm. If you look at, and I think this is really important and a lot of people um, do um, obviously have a, an opinion yeah and I understand that and and, and for various things that he's done in uh, yes. over the last few years but I think the one thing you can't take away from from him as a leader mm. is that he was willing to risk absolutely yes. everything and, and yes. genuinely everything to achieve what he wanted which was yes. you know he'd been in a newsprint for many years started in Australia obviously and mm. then uh, reached out to um, a number of um you know, people to start this um, this this new sort of organisation up. I'm just mm. and um, he really sort of how can I say he he put he risked absolutely everything to achieve mm. a broadcast organisation called Sky. Mm. Um, and to put it into context, um, we were losing when we joined forces. There was another channel which was literally uh, opposing sky called british sky uh, british satellite broadcasting mm. british satellite broadcasting launched just after uh, sky had launched and it was effectively a very high quality um uh, sort of output that was producing music entertainment movies mm. sport so on and so forth and it, if you, it's a bit like the betamax vhs race mm. you know one of them had to win mm. and effectively um the problem with the other party was that they were very expensive and 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 they were going for everything quality 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 mm. and rupert was going for everything around how can i get the right content rights mm. things like that but it wasn't the same level mm. so the difference to answer your question is that he was willing to effectively not pander to what the other organization was doing focus on clear focus on what he wanted to achieve and why mm. he wanted to achieve it mm. and and effectively put every part of his organization at risk to achieve it and mm. they got to a point the very very famous story of this one which is uh, when we joined forces with british satellite broadcasting or took them over effectively um he was losing per week 10 million pounds now that doesn't sound huge wow. amounts in the days but if you imagine back in sort of the early 90s yeah Losing ten million pounds, um, you know, every week um, uh, was a huge, huge mm, thing. Mm. Um, to a point where there was one bank he had to renegotiate on, and they wouldn't speak to anyone apart from speaking to him. It's a little mm. bank in the middle of a, um, a US somewhere, I don't know where, um, and he had to pick up the phone and negotiate with somebody who really didn't like him. Um, <laughs> 
effectively is one tiny bank, and it was a very yeah. small bank in the, in in the US somewhere. Um, had to come to a negotiation to mm. agree a new deal. And if, mm. if they hadn't, the House of Cards had fallen down. Mm. Um, but that's how close he was to losing absolutely everything. So mm. I learned, what I learned is he was very focused on what he wanted and, and mm. never deviated, never deviated. Mm. Um, and, the, and, and he was willing to bet everything to achieve mm. what he needed. So, that, mm. so as a leader, he, ha- he was fearless, he mm. was determined, mm. he was focused, and he mm. didn't deviate from the plan. So that's mm. what I learned. Love that. Love that. So slightly switching gears a little bit. So what does emotional intelligence mean to you? Well, it's the most important thing for me in, in mm. business. Um, and mm. and it, if I'm very honest, senior, senior leaders in the organization, if you, if, if you get them to do a, effectively a test for emotional intelligence or EQ, um, you will find that um, they, they, they become these very red people. So in other words, they're yes. people that <laughs> yeah. don't have much emotional intelligence. Mm. And so it's a very rare thing for a senior leader to have mm. emotional intelligence. They mm. tend not to because they have to make the difficult decisions. Yes. And, and unfortunately, with emotional intelligence, you it puts the doubt into your thinking. You know, it's like, yes. if I do this, how will it affect people? Why yes. will it affect people? So there's a balance between, you know, using it appropriately and sometimes mm. you have to go the other way. And and it's knowing when to use that EQ and that emotional intelligence to really um, benefit, you know, uh, what you're doing. So I mm. think it's it's um, it's a really interesting one. And, and I think if you look at all the studies that have been happening over the last few years, mm. um, they, they do recognise that, great leaders are people that both are very strong but equally mm. have a level of emotional intelligence mm. um mm. Uh, and those leaders that are just how can i say very red but don't have that mm. same level of emotional intelligence mm. um are very very high achievers um yes. but um but the people underneath them probably aren't that aren't that favorable with them Agreed. And I, and I think it's one of those things so i'm still quite early in my leadership journey right so I think it's one of those things where they're almost often pitted. You can either be one or the other, you know, and like you said, like when you have to make the hard decisions, you know, it's almost like the EQ side has to suffer. But I always wonder, like, is there a way that you can still make really hard decisions and still do the right thing by the business, but do it in such a way that the EQ side of it, it almost like because if you've got to fire someone, you know, that's a hard decision to have to make. But there must be a way or I wonder if there's a way that can you still do that but have a conversation in such a way that the EQ side is still front and center of this really hard decision and both parties go away from it not necessarily feeling great because you've still got fired right but you know you're having a conversation in such a way that softens that and it actually still works for both sides and you're still amiable when you leave yeah I'll give you an example so the number of jobs I did at Sky um mm. I ran Sky Sports Operations um okay. and I I ran production services mm. and 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 from an emotional intelligence point of view um I think when I ran sports operations uh, I was very much a different person I'll, I'll mm. unpack that later on mm. um but from when I went into production services I took that baggage of of um of sort of um how can i say the lack of emotional intelligence and and more the doing um 
um, into that new environment. And I learned a couple of things. Um, so I, the job I was given was uh, to transform uh, the organization. And what that means mm. is that, you know, I needed to, it was effectively around about sort of 1300 people wow. in that or part of the organization. And uh, it was, it got too big. It got too unwieldy. No one mm. understood how it ran. No mm. one under, understood how much it cost to run. Mm. And effectively, I needed to do a really sort of um, uh, a big job at cleaning up, uh, looking at all of the workforce, looking at where we were putting value in, taking the value out that wasn't needed anymore and so on and so forth. Mm. So so I initially uh, recruited um, seven senior leaders um, uh, who were what I would call very, you know, very hyper um, sort of leaders who were mm. very good at their job. And and I took the baggage in of um, being very instructional. Um, so this is how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And effectively, um, I I did spend a lot of time with them right at the beginning to try and build them as a team, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, it got to a point where um, one of them came to me one day and said, "Look, Darren, look, we know you're very experienced. We know, you know, uh, that you've got all all of the things." But you employed us because you are, you know, you you wanted a high performing team. Mm. But you're making all of those decisions. You know, you're 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 sort mm. of, you know, being the the the, the loudest voice in the room. Mm. Um, and uh, they said, look, you know, this can't go on because fundamentally, what will happen is that, you know, we'll just get bored with that, and effectively, you know, um, we'll decide that that's not what we want. So, uh, so sorry, did they did they all approach you together? Or one person was the like. How did that go down? Yeah, so I think I think initially it was uh, a single person in a room, and then we had senior leadership meetings every week, yeah. and and then they all broached it. You know, one started, the next started, and so on and so forth. Wow. So I think initially, you know, I think you kind of go, oh, okay, they're, they're pushing back on me. <laughs> yeah. this, this is not good. This is not good. I, you know, I'm I'm the most important person in the room here. Yeah. You know? So your arrogance comes out a little bit. But, but I thought about a couple of things and I thought to myself, look, there's two ways I can deal with this. I can either mm. just ignore it and just become, mm. you know, continue to be the person I am. Um, or I can adapt to myself and, and, uh, and change. Mm. And, uh, and I tried and, and, and I thought to myself, I'm going to go, I'm going to change. I'm going to, you know, and mm. I suddenly realized, um, uh, and it took, um, you know, it took a few months um, that, that all of a sudden I changed from being the very instructional leader mm. to, to a mentor. Um, and, uh, and, and my responsibility to them became less about me being their boss and mm. me being more their mentor. Um, mm. and, and it suddenly um, became a much more enjoyable experience <laughs> to the point where um, I was able to effectively lead them um, yes. But but they became very elastic. And what I mean by that is that I could keep loading, 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 because instead of the responsibility all coming to me, yeah, each of them became responsible mm. for their areas. Mm. They knew that it, ultimately I was trusting them to be responsible for their areas. Mm. Um, and um, and it meant that whenever they had a problem or a you know, difficult time. And some of them went through some horrendous 
times of their life mm. from a point of view of having to, you know, downsize, you know, 300 people, you know, it mm. go through that emotion that mm. comes with all of that sort of baggage that you have to deal with. Um, mm. They knew that they could always come to me for counsel, mm. guidance, mm. Um, but but it wouldn't always be me making decisions. You know, they kept, mm. came to me and said, look, this is my problem, blah, blah, blah. I'd listen. Mm. Um, but then I would ask them the question, what do you advise? Um, and and I think that became very empowering for them because they became, mm. you know, most of the time we need people to sound off to. We need yes. we need to talk. We're communicators. Yes. So they were using me as a way of effectively unburdening everything mm. that was on their mind. Mm. And and I was there to to probably be the um, you know the the um, the shrink kind of in the corner <laughs> listening to them yeah. and and you know helping them to come to the right conclusion. So I think to answer your question, um, the way that you sometimes have to adapt yourself to kind of um, be a really good leader mm. is that you need to change your approach depending on mm. the environment. And I, I, I need mm. to put this very carefully. We were going mm. through a massive transformation. Mm. So at the time, everyone needed that guidance, that help, that support, all the rest mm. of it. So my mm. role became that which was I was there to be the person who pointed to the things that, you know, we needed to do, set the tone and the direction for the organisation, and they were the people who then enacted that out. So so to answer your last question just around how do we deal with people in difficult situations, mm. sometimes we have to adapt, okay, mm. and sometimes we have to tell the right story. And what I mean by that mm. is that, if you give people a clear map of where we're going and why we're going there, mm. people may not be happy about it. People may may push back at it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, people will understand. And I'll yes. give you one final example of this is, is that we had to, as I said, get rid of a quite a few people who, you know, even were friends of mine and colleagues of mine really? for many years. But not one of them ever came up to me afterwards and said you know you're a horrible person this is yes. what it is. um i remember walking <laughs> i was walking in, a, in an exhibition and all of a sudden um i saw seven people grouped together and there were seven people that had just been um no. uh, 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 left the organization and i was walking towards them and i thought here we go this oh is going to be this going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And every single one of them came up to me and said, firstly, they said, Darren, how are you? You know, and, and I said, yeah, good, good. And how are you, all of you? And all of them went, you know, we're okay. We're all okay. And actually, mm. you know, Fred's got this and Jane's got that. And mm. we're all good. Mm. And, you know, I sort of stood there and for a minute and was about to sort of say, look, you know, I'm really sorry what happened. And, you know, mm. it's just the process. And, mm. and then one of them said, look, Darren, um, we just wanted to say um, – we know it was tough for you um, wow. and and we know that, you know, some of the things that you had to do um, probably, you know, were not things that you probably enjoyed too much. Um, mm. we also want <laughs> That's to, a nice we, way to put it. <laughs> absolutely. We also want to let you know that fundamentally we don't hold anything against you. We know wow. what you had to do and we know why you had to do it. And wow. so that taught me one thing is that I mm. laid down the right foundations to let mm. people know why we were doing it. 
and I, and I think something that I've kind of understood from the first story you told around, you know, when things weren't going well and your team approaching you, and even that situation is that you've built an environment where people feel that they can actually talk to you about things like that, because it's not everybody that you can go to your boss and say, look, what you're doing kind of sucks for me right now. Like yeah. something needs Being to change. Like, yeah. 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 Like that's, that's a real psychological safety that you've been able to build there. So what were like, when you were going into that role, what were some of the things that you did? If you can, if you can, if they were intentional or not, um, that you think built that psychological safety for people to be able to come and tell you like, look, this, something needs to change and give you that honest feedback. Well, I think initially, um, I didn't, um, and that's what I was saying. Hmm. You know, I, I I didn't. So what I adapted was I took away the things that were not good. So um, so for instance, in meetings, I would uh, I would lead the meetings, of course. Um, hmm. uh, but I have a very bad habit, and and I still struggle to this day. And I'll be really honest with you um, about sometimes filling the gaps. Okay. You know, so um, which means that, you know, in a meeting, if I felt that there was too much of an air gap, I'd fill it. So okay. what I did and how I adapted is I gave people the opportunity to breathe. I also mm. um, gave the people made them very clear. And, and I did it in a, a fun way as well. Sometimes I, met, I remember, you know, constantly saying to them, your only job here is to make me look amazing. Um, <laughs> and, and, and what I meant by that. In a, yes. in a nicely possible sense is if you're great and you're mm. great at what you do mm. and i'm going to allow the space to do that mm. you're going to be brilliant because i'm mm. going to talk about you all the time mm. and i'm going to be brilliant because it's going to highlight the organization yes. um, and and i think they like that because mm. and i always remember one particular lady who worked for me and i had a real diversity in there by the way you know i put I, there was a real balance female mm. male there was mm. it was it was not predominantly male or anything mm. that was real real balance and mm. and my goodness me it was hard work because <laughs> you're having to deal with like totally different people yes but the, but the great thing was is that i would find that i'd be working because i always worked silly hours i worked like you know getting a sort of half past seven in the morning and leave at half seven at night wow. and i remember one lady coming over to me said, what are you working on there and i said oh this she said no i'm taking that from here I'll wow. do that presentation. I'm much better at presentations than you are. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I recognize that all yes. of a sudden my team was starting to take from yeah. me because they wanted that responsibility. And, and it was yes. like, and I'd go, you know what? You're right. Um, so yeah. I think what how I adapted and how I changed was giving mm. them permission, to your point, to challenge, mm. um, giving permission to to push back on things that they didn't agree. There were times, and I'll be really honest with you, mm. we had to make decisions. And, and yes. ultimately, it, the buck would stick with me. If I didn't 100%. agree with what they were doing, mm. then ultimately there would be times where I would say, I'm sorry, for these reasons, this is mm. why we're doing this. Mm. Um, but what I mean to say is it got to a point where from a senior leadership team, we had a really high performing team to a point where, you know, I used to get a lot of requests from different parts of the organization saying, how did you go through that transformation? And mm. it was one of the first transformations ever in Sky, um, wow. you know, um, and so it, and, and it was purely down to me adapting my mm. way of working. That's what changed. 
how how did you know what you needed to adapt? Because now, if I want to understand about leadership, promotion, intelligence, I can go on LinkedIn Learning, I can listen to podcasts, I can do anything like that. But this was still like probably quite early in the whole information age. So how did you know what you needed to change? How did you know what would be a good thing to would, try? Because ultimately, my team told me. Wow. So, so I mean... Um, because to your point, I gave them the permission to kind of mm. do that. And, mm. and to a point, and I'll, I'll give you another example. We we did, in the early days, we did a lot of work as a team. And what mm. I mean by that is a lot of people just take their team away once a year or whatever. Mm. And, and mm. They have a way day and it's all nice and friendly and everything. Um, uh, we didn't. What we did is we did probably, I would say, about three or four three months of really hard graft of everything from how we're going to run this department and you know to to exploring each other's personalities to a point mm. where we had this very uncomfortable um uh um sort of session and it was it was genuine it was there put in very cleverly by um i won't say me it was put in by um my head of transformation okay uh, uh, who who is still this guy actually, um, uh, and she um, put it there to basically expose all of, all of our weaknesses. And and what it was was each of us stood literally face to face with each other. Everyone did it, and we were able in this safe space to tell the truth about each other. Um, wow! Uh, and uh, that was a very telling experience. Hmm. Um, as you can imagine, I, I yeah. slightly bruised from that, that episode, but, wow. but it helped me to kind of work out for mm. each individual personality, what yeah. is the thing that doesn't mm. get them motivated? Mm. You know, what is it I'm doing that mm. is causing them to be um, either, you know, unhappy with the things I'm doing mm. or or liking the things I'm doing. Um, so we, we did it two ways, one around, you know, telling each other exactly what we felt. And, mm. and, and I'll be honest with you, it got really, really difficult. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but, but it worked. Yeah. You know, we all worked, walked away from each other knowing, you know, what the other person was thinking. And I think to answer mm. your question, I didn't need to go and research that on the internet because mm. effectively I was able to do it with the people that meant the most. Mm. So, because for me, like, it sounds like you've hired people who are very good in that EQ space, right? Because for them to even have the awareness to raise it with you, that's quite a, it's quite an important thing. So I had a couple of questions on that. So what was it that you were looking for when you were hiring those people and how did you identify that they could be good at that space? And then the second question is kind of separate is you're receiving a lot of feedback, right? A lot of feedback that can be quite tough. What was going on in your mind, whether it's approaching that situation or coming out of that situation that's enabled you to take it in such a good way? Yeah. So the first one, just around how did I go out and hire the right people? I think mm. that, the, the one lesson I learned, and again, it was thanks to um, Jo, who was my transformation director. Um, she Jo Curtis? Yes, yes, Jo okay. Curtis. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she's awesome. 
She's yeah. awesome. There you go. So you know yeah. Joe Curtis. I know Joe. She is awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so, so you probably understand now. Yeah. Now yeah. I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So Joe Curtis, just for the people listening to this, um, uh, has been at Sky a very long time, and she mm. she's done lots of projects, and I'd worked with her for many, many, many years, mm. and I hired her. Um, because she's in- incredibly good at unpacking problems yes. um, in, in a really good logical way. And so mm. I had a, a head of HR and I had Joe Curtis, who was my head uh, of transformation. And so tra- Joe said to me, Darren, you're not going to hire people that look like you or act like you. you. <laughs> um, and so uh, so thanks, thanks to, thanks to wow. Joe. Um, she and my HR director um, worked on finding people that were very talented in the industry outside of Sky, mm. not inside mm. Sky, outside mm. Sky, um, uh, uh, and didn't act and work like me. And now that sounds mm. very odd, um, but mm. it's but yeah. In it, it, when we were doing this, it sounded incredibly odd. If you did this today, you'd probably go, yeah, you know, he's ticked yeah. the right box here. It's yes. it is. It is what he should be doing, but not then. I'm talking. But this is this is before it's time, though. This yeah, is way yeah. before it's time. Yeah, it, it was. It was literally really cutting edge, and and I went <laughs> to one particular. Um, and she won't mind me probably saying this. Um, there's a lady called B Divine who works at Sky now. Yeah. Um, and uh, and B um, was uh, working at a production company in in London called Princess Productions. Okay. I I'd just come from Sky Sports, and she was entertainment so mm. and she won't mind me saying this and i'm not being on pc but she she was pink and fluffy and entertainment and all the rest of it mm. and i was told before i went to the meeting darren she's totally different to you which mm. means that it's good um yes. so, <laughs> yeah. so feel what's okay it's good it's okay yeah. you're gonna be yeah, okay yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and i met b and uh yeah, I, I can tell you now, I came away feeling slightly underwhelmed um, and mm. uh, thinking, mm, not sure, not sure, mm. but I'll give her a chance in the interviews and we'll see how it goes. Mm. Anyway, gave her a chance. And can I say wholeheartedly, B's one of my best friends. Um, she is beyond talented to a point mm. where, um, you know, I, I was, she was awesome because I saw her grow from mm. somebody who was, how can I say, a very, um, you know, uh, somebody who would just take instructions and act on those instructions to mm. to grow to somebody who was in charge, delivering, mm. obviously now working on Sky Studios, um, mm. and and somebody incredibly talented, and and that was amazing thing to to witness and be part of and we became incredibly close as 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 both i was her boss but equally as friends um because um she was really talented my point is i nearly didn't hire her Mm. and and i didn't hire her because i had unconscious bias um that, that was in my head that you know somebody who was completely opposite from me uh wasn't the right person um and I hired everyone, everyone who was completely different to me, and turned out amazing. Um, and that 
became a really interesting thing. And then, of course, I had to manage people who were totally different. Mm. So that became mm. difficult. That was probably your first question. I'm trying to remember yeah. your second question. So what the second your... question yeah. was around taking feedback. So ah, yes. what were the things that you went into those conversations to yeah. prepare yourself to get those feedback? And what was your processing after that enabled you to take on quite bruising or quite, I don't know what the word is, but quite strong feedback about and quite vulnerable feedback? Yeah, sure. And, and I think, look, let's be really honest, okay? No one likes being called out. No <laughs> okay? It doesn't matter who you are, if you're mm. a senior leader all the way down mm. to somebody younger. Um, mm. You know, it doesn't matter. So I would never say the experiences were amazing and something I would, you know, relish. Mm. Um, but I think you have to unpack it afterwards. And, and there's times where you got feedback where you would disagree with that feedback. And there were times where you, you walk away and you go, yeah, I have been a bit of an idiot mm. in that mm. scenario. Um, and, and the emotional intelligence part is the most important part of that. And what I mean by that is that if you have not very high uh, emotional intelligence, you'd walk away doing two things. Firstly, that person's an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. Mm. I'm not listening to them. And you'd go home and not even think about it. It wouldn't mm. even cross your mind. It was like, mm. you know, that, that was an incident that happened yesterday, whatever. Mm. If you got emotional intelligence, and, and I hope, you know, in some respects, I I've definitely think I've learned it, you go away and you unpack that problem and go, you know what, absolutely. And there's been a couple of occasions where I've gone away and I've gone do you know what? That person was being really, really, really bad, mm. but my my reaction was even worse. Mm. Um, and actually, I reacted really badly to it. And and mm. and if you come away feeling, well, you know, God Almighty, I've got to, you know, and 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 I've done that a couple of times. Mm. You re you realise you have to either try and change the situation, um, or you you know, it's going to wind you up for a long time. And, mm. and so there's been a couple of times where I think I've walked away, unpacked it, realized I've been a bit of an idiot um, and uh, and then had to think, go back. But the difference is, and I, I wholeheartedly will say this, if I'm wrong, mm. I will 100% say, you know mm. what, I was wrong. Mm. And, and, and I've learned that over the years. Many years ago, I would never admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm probably the other way. You've got to have a balance. You really got to yes. have a balance. But yes. you know, if I make a mistake, I will admit to my mistakes. Mm. Um, but that comes with age, experience, mm. and mm. confidence. You know, mm. there are times in mm. life you can't security. Make yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, so you can't make the perfect decision all the time. No. Okay, you can't. It's impossible. You know, we, we're humans. We make mistakes. It's recognizing those mistakes, either putting them right or at least apologizing for them. Mm. And I think, I think for me, that was one of the things that was really admirable about your journey is that that first interaction with your team where they came to you and they, you know, they challenged you on some of the things. I really loved your response in terms of taking it away, taking it on board, even from such an early age. Like that is so important um, because it's so easy to push back and be like, nope. You know, I'm the boss, this is this, this is this, but I love the fact that you really actually chewed it, you took it away and you started making changes straight away. Like for me, that's that's a massive, massive takeaway. Yeah, and I think just just one last point. Um a lot of 
what I call senior senior leaders will mm. see that as a weakness. You know mm. um, that that you are somebody that you know either gets wound up by you know people you know effectively doing something to you. And I think there is a balance in in our work life. There are going to be mm. times in our work life where you have to be a dictator, and it's a horrible thing to say, but you do. You, you know, um, you know. Uh, and there are other times in life where you need to really put that emotion, emotional intelligence into what you're doing. So I think the important thing is recognizing when when mm. you need to bring both tool sets in. You know, and making sure that you use it appropriately. And look, it's a it's a life lesson. You know, you can never be perfect at it. At it. Um, I definitely am not. I've made many, many mistakes along the way um, and have repeated some of those mistakes, you know, which is frustrating sometimes because you think, I've done that before. Why did I do it again? Why did I do it again? <laughs> yeah. But I think you have to recognize that sometimes we are human and... Mm the emotional intelligence part of us also is the chimp inside us. So we've got to make sure that, you know, sometimes that chimp is the thing that's winding us up and it's our, you know, it's our chimp brain that sometimes drives those bad sort of instant uh, decisions that are probably sometimes not the correct ones. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you so much um, for sharing. Um, and just as we close, is there any final thought that you have, um, for the listeners in terms of what they can do to start developing their emotional intelligence? Well, I think recognize um, what you're good at, but equally recognize what you're not so good at when mm. you deal with people. Mm. I, I think the most important thing is, and this only comes, again, this comes with time and experience. And I think it's something that, you know, you can read lots of books on, you can you can sort of look at uh, YouTube and everything's TikTok or whatever you want to do now. <laughs> Um, but, but fundamentally, you've got to discover yourself, and it's a, and it is a process that you've got to go through. I think the most important thing for me to lead people on is that it's not a weakness to have emotional intelligence. It's a strength, a real strength. And I think if anyone can learn that strength and, and can apply it in business at a senior point, um, mm. then they'll become great leaders. Mm. Um and I think it's important to understand that shouting and directing people will get you so far, but it won't get you to a point where, you know, you can look back at your career and go, you know, wasn't I a great leader? Mm. You want to be able to, you know, have people walk up to you and go, you know what, you were right. You you put some heart <laughs> in, you were right. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, recognize it's not a weakness. And I think that's mm. the, lead, the, the last thing I will say on it. I love that. And especially because it's really about the impact that you leave on other people. You know, that, that leadership point that you've just made is about, yes, we got great stuff done, but there's also the fact of, okay, how did people also feel through that time? And I think what you've just said about people, like genuinely being able to come to you and say, look, you are actually all right. I think yeah. that's what as leaders we all really want. You know, is that even though I had to make tough decisions, people still were all right. Like people still understood. I still gave them what they needed. I had to make the tough decisions, but like you said, I was still all right. I love that. Yeah, I think if I had to, my tombstone would be <laughs> he was all right. He was all right. <laughs>
<laughs> I love that. I love that. Honestly, Darren, thank you so much That's all right. um, for your for your time and for sharing. It's been really inspirational for me. Um, and I know it will be for, for everyone that listens as well. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. Really appreciate that was, it. It was very nice meeting you. Good, likewise. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode.